the Monarch Highway. We've talked about the Monarch Butterfly on a number of occasions here on the show. Populations of these iconic orange and black butterflies in North America has plummeted from about a billion down to 33 million in less than 20 years. People have undertaken a variety of efforts to try to save the species, but now a major project to restore the dwindling habitat of the monarch is underway, part of which is right here in our great state of Texas. Interstate 35, a highway which stretches all the way from Minnesota to Mexico, cuts through the monarch's central flyway for its migration from Canada to its wintering grounds in Mexico. Along the way, the major cities like Minneapolis-St. Paul, Kansas City, and of course, here in Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio. There is also the Corn Belt on the way, with its endless fields of corn and soybean monocultures, usually, unfortunately, folks, laced with glyphosate pesticide, Roundup. The new plan is to turn I-35 into a monarch highway by creating habitat on the roadway's verges. The highway verges represent a large area of public land that can be used for this purpose. They'll be planting of various species in 10 by 100 foot plots each mile of the interstate or acreage restored with seeds where it's possible. These plantings will include a variety of species favored by bees, butterflies, and other pollinators and will include milkweeds and the only food source of the monarch caterpillar. Now, most people don't realize monarch butterflies do use a several species, a lot of species of wildflowers, but the caterpillar has to be on a milkweed. Over time, the habitat islands along the highway should naturally spread, and by being dispersed by annual mowing, it will increase the chance of these once monarch deserts into a thriving area that they can can exist along their trip north to south. The plan does have its opponents. Some worry that the vehicle collisions will kill more insects than the enhanced habitat will sustain. Various studies are not conclusive yet about the effectiveness of the restored habitat in such an environment. So we're still looking at that, but the general consensus in the, in the biology field is it's definitely going to be an asset rather than a liability. And what other choice do we have? We're not going to take eminent domain of people's land just to plant wildflowers. That's not going to happen anymore. We could, of course, create a program that would reimburse people that own property along the same corridor but further away from the interstate well like they do now you know they give subsidies for everything from peanuts to corn and they now give subsidies to keep your land barren but that uh, they're looking for that in the future but the plan will be gaining support and we'll see some real real world testing in, in this year and in the next few years the state of the monarch migration is so dire that it is certainly worth trying now onto another environmental problem that we really, really need to learn how to control. The proliferation of global plastic waste continues to be a growing problem all over the world. Hundreds of millions of tons of plastic are produced each year, and most of it is used eh, once and then just thrown away, discarded. The properties that make plastic so attractive, durability and chemical stability, really make it difficult to do anything. What do you do with the discarded plastics other than deposit them in a landfill somewhere? Well, they don't really easily degrade over time, even if they are buried somewhere. 
Burning them puts the chemistry in right where we don't need it, in our air. And some of this stuff's not good for you at all. It just dumps carbon dioxide and a lot of other hazardous gases into the atmosphere if you burn it. So that's not a good solution. Polystyrene is one of the most widely used plastics. It is found in foam packaged materials, disposable food containers, plastic cutlery, storage containers, and in a lot of other places. Recycling plastics like styrene is generally not economically feasible. Sorting plastic by type is time and labor intensive, and the chemical process required to break it down into plastic again so that it's usable requires significant energy input and the use of some really toxic solvents. However, recently a team of scientists from Ames Laboratory in Iowa has developed a process based on ball milling that deconstructs the commercial styrene into a single step, one time. That's all they got to do. At room temperature, in a regular ambient atmosphere, and in the absence of the use of any harmful solvents. Ball milling is a technique that places materials in a milling vial with ball bearings, literally, which is then agitated to initiate a chemical reaction. This process has even earned itself its own name. It's called mechanochemistry. This method represents an important breakthrough that enables dismantling of a polymer that includes its chemical breakdown without requiring solvents or the high temperature generally needed to thermally decompose it. The discovery opens up new avenues for low temperature recovery of monomers from polymer-based systems that include composites and laminates. It could be a very useful weapon in the battle against our ever, ever increasing plastic waste problem. And now for my factoid of the week that's not quite so pleasant. Let's call this one the silent killer. Air pollution is deadly. Studies have found that particulates from air pollution can enter our lungs and bloodstream, contributing to major health conditions including heart disease, stroke, cancer, and kidney disease. Globally, air pollution is responsible for the premature deaths of millions of people every year. The first line of defense against air pollutants is ambient air quality standards. But according to researchers at McGill University, more than half of the world's population lives without the protection of adequate air quality standards of any kind. The research team focused on a specific type of air pollution called particulate matter 2.5. That's more commonly just called PM 2.5. PM 2.5 refers to the tiny particles or droplets in the air that are two and a half microns or less in width. These tiny particles are responsible for over 4.2 million premature deaths every year globally, including more than a million deaths in China alone. They got some dirty air. Nearly 200,000 in Europe and more than 50,000 here in the United States. In the study, which was recently published in the Bulletin of the World Health Organization, the researchers found that where there are air quality protections, the standards are often worse than what the World Health Organization considers safe for humans. Some regions with high air pollution levels, like the Middle East for instance, they don't even measure the PM 2.5 yet. 
The researchers found that the weakest air quality standards are often violated while the strictest standards may usually be met. More than half of the world's population is in urgent need of adequate air quality standards. For instance, folks, for those of you that are still um, denying climate change, and believe me, there's still some people out there that's got their head in the sand, this is the other reason. Let's say you don't believe that we're changing our Earth by about 8 billion of us polluting it. If you don't believe it, I don't know where you are, but that's happening. But if you don't believe it, then just think about what we do know is happening. Here's the science that we need to clean up our air for the health and safety of all of us. Just to lighten things up a little bit, let's do this last part of the show with a couple of minutes of good news. A recent study at North Carolina State University has shown that it is feasible to use see-through solar panels in greenhouses to generate electricity. The idea is to use semi-transparent solar panels on greenhouses that allow enough of the light to get in for the plants to grow well while making the greenhouse energy neutral or even allowing them to generate more power than they use, otherwise it's totally self-contained greenhouse. You're growing your plants for free once you get this thing built and, and, and running. The question is how the semi-transparent solar panels might affect greenhouse crops. To investigate this, researchers grew crops of real red lettuce from seed to fully mature plants under a standard set of growing conditions that includes temperature, water, fertilizer, and CO2 concentration. But varied the light they get through the various semi-transparent panels. A control group was exposed to the full spectrum of white light while three experimental groups were exposed to light through different types of the filters that absorbed the particular wavelengths of light that would be absorbed by different types of semi-transparent solar cells. The researchers paid close attention to characteristics of the lettuce that are important to growers, grocers, and the consumer. General appearance, leaf number, leaf size, and weight. The results were that the lettuce produced using all three kinds of filtered light was essentially identical to that produced by the control group. It all seemed to work so well that further research is now underwear looking at how the harvesting of various wavelengths of light affects biological processes of other crops, lettuces, tomatoes, and various other crops that lend themselves to be grown in greenhouses. Given the result of these experimental results, it appears as though the decision will boil down to a simple economic argument about whether the investment in new greenhouse technology would be offset by energy production and its resultant savings. Let me throw a little bit into the end of this of my thoughts about it. I know a number of people that have huge areas of their home that are now glassed. You know, they're glazed in for an out, indoor-outdoor porch. They're glazed in over their pools. Why not use this same technology to cover your pool, if that's what you're going to do, cover your big 12 by 24 year-round live-on porch that's glass? It would probably do this. Use that kind of glass, the solar transparent panel, semi-transparent, would probably offset the extra cost because heating a glassed room with air conditioning is not inexpensive. But what if it could produce, at least remain neutral, produce enough of its own energy to control the temperature in that very room itself? Probably wouldn't be a bad investment. 
Organic Matters here every Saturday morning, 9 to 10. Thanks for tuning in. Back after this with more of the show.